He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dick Morris Show. Hello, Dick Morris. Hello, Doug Capiro. I'm here with my sidekick and motorcycle maniac, Doug DiPiero. Oh, that's the new thing. I'm the motorcycle maniac now. Oh, that's me. That's actually me on the bike in Florida, in Delray. All right. We're good. Okay. You get the point. Cut. (laughs) All right. So everybody's asking me, what is Donald Trump's mood? How is he? How's he doing under this assault? And I think Bob Seeger has the best answer for that. I've spoken with President Trump now maybe 10 times since the indictment. And uh, he's in great shape. He's very feisty. He's very aggressive. He feels that the other side has way, way overreached. And he feels vindicated. He feels that all of his charges about the deep state and the weaponization of the Justice Department and the efforts of the establishment to try to keep him out of office, all of these uh, allegations have now basically been proven by the actions of the DOJ. And he says, just look at what they're doing to me and look at what's going on. And obviously what I've been talking about is real, is true. And he's buoyed by the tremendous support that he's had getting from people. Uh, every time he talks to me, the first thing he asks is, how are my poll numbers? And uh, they're fabulous. Yeah, tell him what you said to him. And He's in his car going to Miami to the get fingerprinted and all that crap all the right. So we're on the phone with him, and he's in the car. And Dick says, you know, Dick Mr. Says, President, he, goes, this, he goes, how I'm doing? He goes, Mr. President, Mr. listen. Mr. President, this business of getting indicted is working really well. And he goes, he goes, ha, huh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. The guy's going to get arrested. <laughs> and he's telling him, oh, this is good for you. You should do it more often. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. And, and it is. Uh, it, it basically is eliminating the Republican primary. Uh, nobody else can get a word in edgewise. Nobody can uh, can run. The takeoff period that's basically May and June has been basically blocked for these other candidates. And uh, they can't they can't share the stage with Donald Trump. He's just too big. Yeah, right. And uh, and his supporters and the Republican voters are absolutely at a fever pitch of support for him uh, by. 85 to 20, they believe that these charges are mainly political and have nothing to do with criminal justice. Uh, they believe that that it's unequal treatment of the laws because Hillary Clinton went completely free and was never challenged, and Joe Biden, for the documents cases, not being challenged. That's and unbelievable. For the that bribery that cases is uh, at the moment certainly not being. Uh, accused. Joe Bribe, Bribin? Yeah, I, I told Trump to call him Joe Bribin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so so I think that this is, uh, not only do I think it's a non-event in terms of the Republican primary, 
I think that it's going to – I think the future indictments are going to be less and less meaningful. Andy Worrell once said that the F word is the only word that maintains its credibility in the English language uh, because you can't say the uh, toothpaste is effing good. Uh, you have to say a revolutionary new toothpaste. So revolutionary loses its credibility. <laughs> And two words that used to dominate the political process and used to be the ultimate capital punishment, impeachment and indictment, have both really been worn out. Uh, They've lost their political clout, and nobody's afraid of them anymore. And I think that Trump probably will be indicted for the uh, phone call he made to the Secretary of State of Georgia to urge him to count the votes accurately, and he probably will be indicted for the January 6th stuff. Oh, my God. Uh, even though he said go home peacefully and prayerfully. and uh, But they'll stop at nothing. They'll go ahead. And I think each indictment is going to uh, cast into doubt all of the other previous ones, and there'll be the sense of them coming after him for anything they can possibly do, including littering. Uh, the Trump indictment, the facts of the indictment itself, Uh, really don't mean much at all, uh, because the important thing here is the context that's surrounding it. Uh, The Hillary Clinton being gone free and and Joe Biden not being aggressively prosecuted for the bribery he seems to have gotten from China. And, and, you know, Dick, it's watered down at this point. They're just on them and on them and on them. After a while, you just get tired of listening to these people. And you get the point that these people want to take the election away from the voters. Any way they can. And every time that becomes apparent, voters, Republicans at least, and most independents see that this means that Trump is very strong, uh, that the Democrats are terrified of him, that they think the only way to beat him is not in the ballot box but in the jury box right and they want to transfer the entire process from a political process of choosing the president to a judicial process of trying the candidate for president and uh, that's just something voters are not prepared to accept uh and i think that that is is very much taking the sting out of it you know the the old line from from the bible death where is thy sting well Indictment, where is thy sting? And even if he's convicted, these lawyers are so nearsighted, as most lawyers are. They're so myopic. They think that, oh, if you're indicted, it's a big, serious deal. And the voters, and if you violated paragraph 6, subsection Q, (laughs) uh, paragraph 3 of the law, because it says that you have to turn these documents over mm-hmm. to the just over to the uh, archives the voters say okay well why is this important why is this more than an overdue library book mm-hmm. uh, if he gave the documents to our enemies or let iran or russia or china see them or north korea that's one thing but there's no charge to that effect why is it important for national security that these documents gather dust in the archives as opposed to in Mar-a-Lago. It's not. What, what, what impact does this have? Nothing. It's very clear that there's absolutely no impact, that, that this, is, this is just uh, a trumped-up grounds right. to go after him in an effort to try to win the election or eliminate the election, really. Yeah, right. Uh, absolutely. Uh, 
I think the other question that is crucial is when will the case come to trial? And uh, Janine Pirro was on right before me, and she spoke about how surprising it is that the prosecutor said he wanted a speedy trial. It's normally the defense that says this. And that's because he wants to get it in before the election because he wants it to cost Trump the election. Uh, Well, first of all, it wouldn't cost him the election. And secondly, there's no way that this is going to come to trial before the election day. Uh, You have all of these defense motions that have to be aired. You have the attorney-client privilege issue that has to be litigated. And there's a thing called an interlocutory appeal in a federal case. You don't have it in a state case. But if you have a legal issue, like did you violate attorney-client privilege, that can go up to the courts and then be appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court before the trial can proceed. So you're really not going to try this thing until 25 or 26, by which time Trump will either pardon himself or they'll come after him like crazy because Biden, God help us, will have won. Oh, my God. And uh, you're really looking at a contest between Trump and Biden with Trump's indictment and Biden's potential indictment hanging over their heads as the election goes on. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the other half of this, the Biden bribery scandal. Joe Bryben. Bryben, it's hard to say. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. So let's talk about Joe Bryben and Hunter Bryben. Happy (laughs) happy Father's Day, Joe. Let me just begin by summarizing again how the Biden bribery went down. It began when Barack Obama was president and Biden his vice president, and Obama appointed Biden his point man for handling developments in Ukraine, specifically with a mandate to clean up the corruption and to make it more of an honest country. Why this was our business or not, I don't know, but... Obama assumed responsibility for it. And pursuant to that, Biden (coughs) flew to uh, Kiev in April of 2013 for a meeting, for meetings with various people in the country. Before he left Washington, he met with Devin Archer, who was Hunter Biden's business partner and was on the board, uh, had been put on the board of Burisma, the corrupt energy company. In Ukraine. In Ukraine. When Biden finished his visit, five days later, the British police raided the bank accounts of uh, Mikol Solcheski, and they seized $23 million of his money. Solcheski was the head, is the head of Burisma. 
normally, if you're going to get raided by the government and they're going to seize 23 million of your money, uh, you're going to you're going to call a lawyer, you're going to call an investigator, you're going to really pursue this through the judicial system. Zolchevsky didn't do that. What he did was to hire Hunter Biden. Well, he heard that Hunter took a class. <laughs> and he put on law. Hunter on his board for a salary of a million dollars a year. That's it. And Hunter knew nothing about energy, nothing about charisma. There's only one reason to put him on the board, and that's, of course, because of his last name. Daddy. Okay, so they put him on the board. And then the Ukrainian government really began to close in on Zolchevsky. Uh, the raid that took his money was in Britain. But Ukraine arrested him, uh, put out an arrest warrant. He was a fugitive. He fled the country. They filed an Interpol warrant against him, and he was in tough shape. And uh, there, the, there the public stuff froze. And uh, two years after this, magically, all of the charges against Solchewski were dropped. Magically. And the prosecutor who had gone after him was fired. And then, a year or two later, a an FBI, uh, I'm sorry, a yes, an FBI agent who worked worked in the White House, who was the a White House stenographer, which is a, not a low level position. You take notes in all the summit meetings, and your your notes are the official record. Mm. He complained to the Justice Department that Vice President Biden on that trip to Ukraine had, uh, and in subsequent meetings, had taken a bribe from Zolchevsky to clear him of all charges. This is the FBI guy. The FBI guy said that. And he turned his allegations over to the FBI. And this, this is a very specific, credible accusation. And he said that Joe Biden took a $5 million bribe uh, to get Zolchevsky cleared. And uh, Grassley, the senator from Iowa, says that he has in his possession, but is not allowed to play until they let him, a tape with Joe Biden talking to Zolchevsky on the phone about the bribe. Hmm. So this is a very, very strong case. Then... Right before the FBI agent, whose name is McCormick, went to the FBI, the Ukrainian government got onto this issue and held a press conference where they took the money that had been seized from Zolchevsky, which was in $100 bills, and they laid them out on a table, $5 million of $100 bills, <laughs> at a press conference. And they said, look, this is the bribe that Joe Biden took that we seized. Joe Bribin. Joe Bryben. And uh, so that's the state of play of this stuff. And it is Joe Bryben is not <laughs> under investigation by the Justice Department. Oh, there is no U.S. attorney going after him. Oh, His son is being investigated for uh, a relatively minor charge. Jaywalking or something? No, no. It's, he applied for a gun license. Right. And on the application, they say, have you ever been uh, addicted? Have you ever been using drugs? And he said no, and at the moment he was in treatment for addiction right? and obviously had been an addict. Did he get the gun permit? Yeah, he got it. Oh, he got it too. Because uh-huh. he lied. Of course. He said he was clean. clean. Yes, that's good. So, but that's what they're going after him about, not these millions of dollars of bribes. That's why they don't want Trump to win. 
Now, when you look at Joe Biden's tax returns, here are the stats. When he became vice president after 36 years of service in the United States Senate, like that's a longer sentence than you get for anything. <laughs> and after 36 years, he was very honest. His net worth was only $27,012. When, when he started? Started as vice president. As vice after president. After 36 years as senator. So he'd been pretty honest. I mean, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. In fact, he was known as the poorest member of the Senate. And he talked about how he's middle-class Joe. Well, between then and the time that he left the vice presidency, his net worth rose from 27000 to $2.5 million. Really? Yeah, well... Did he get a paper out? Well, the salary for the vice president was about a quarter of a million a year. And he wrote a book called Promises to Keep about his son's death. And uh, and his and it was a very moving treatise, uh, and he had his pension as a senator, which was very large. So you could see two and a half million, honestly. Then, in twenty seventeen, the first year he was out of office as vice president, he and Jill had an income that they reported to the IRS of fifteen point seven million dollars in one year. Then the next year, 18, his income dropped to 4.5. Then the next year, 19, it was 1 million. And then the next year, 20, when he was running for president, it was only half a million. So Joe Biden made a killing in 2017. <laughs> now, 2017 was right after Hunter and Joe had visited China and had worked out all of these business deals with China for Hunter to broker loans from the Chinese government, basically, the Bank of China, to all kinds of entities in China and in the United States. Two billion dollars of loans that Hunter Biden was in charge of brokering. <laughs> and when you look at the tax returns of Joe Biden in 2017, you see that he made $12 million from his book that he wrote, which was called... Um, I'm sorry. It was a book that that chronicled uh, his his uh, his. I'm sorry. Promises to Keep was the book, and it was about how when Bo Biden, his son, was dying, his son asked him to stay in politics and change the world, and he promised him that he would on his deathbed, and it was a very moving thing. The first book he published while he was vice president was basically a memoir of his Senate time, and it was pretty boring. He made about $80,000 from it. But the second book was a real blockbuster. He was paid an $8 million advance and made $4 million running around the country speaking and promoting the book. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's $12 million. Right, so that's understandable. Then he made 350000 from the Penn Biden Institute. There was this institute set up at the University of Pennsylvania under Joe Biden basically funded by the Chinese uh, through anonymous donations coming from China. Penn refuses to release the source of it. And he had his vice presidential and his Senate pension, uh, and he had those the other annuities. When you put them together, they come to $13.3 million. Yet he declared $15.7 million. There's two and a half million more that he declared 
than sources of his income that are evident. Now, on tax return, you don't have to list the sources of income, just the amount. But it's obvious that there's a $2.5 million hole there of money he declared to the IRS, but we have no idea what the sources of income A little were. spillover. And that's the suspect period. That's the suspect money that mm-hmm. could well have come from China. About $5 million and they gave him a little at a time? They well, fed him. the $5 million, it's not clear where the 5 showed. The 5 was not from China. The five was some from Zolchevsky right. in Ukraine. Right. So God knows where the China money is. <laughs> but there's some money. His grandkids. The two and and his half. Kids, God knows where the Ukraine money is. Right. But the two and a half probably is related to China. But we need to investigate this. This needs to be probed. And we need to understand where the payoffs came from. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the payoff, payoff. Now that we're on top, we won't stop. So why we do is dream come true. We're never gonna give it up, we're never gonna stop. This is the payoff. Great. Good it's tune. It's a payoff. Yeah. Absolutely. That must have been, that's Kevin. You didn't, you didn't pick that. No, I did. I did. That's you did? Farber Drive, whoever the hell he is. Yeah, Faber yeah. Farber. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that's cool. Wow. I know how to Google, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need Google. I got Dick Morris. <laughs> By so, the way, you talk about a trader, right? Christian, our sound guy, gave us the best uh, yeah. Trader Joe. Yeah. Bribin. Trader Joe Bribin. <laughs> trader Joe. That's good, too. Okay, so, so this is really what bears investigation. This is what needs to be investigated. And uh, these are all leads that are publicly available from public sources. And the Justice Department is not doing anything, anything at all, to deal with it. Well, that's why they want to get Trump out also, because the minute he's in. Yep. Let's go to Sal in Staten Island. Hey, Sal. Hey, Sal. Sal. Well, Sal. Hello? All right. Not so much for that. Okay. Let's go to... Sal, you there? Okay, let's his go. Dog is, his dog is growling at us. Go to Max in East Hampton. Hey, Max. Yeah, hi. Uh, I want to ask you, um, a number of weeks ago you said that uh, Trump is going to uh, give 8 to $10 million uh, when he, to prevent cheating if he becomes the nominee. No, I never said that. Uh, meanwhile, Zuckerberg... I never uh, said in 2020, that. gave $440 million. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, Sal. I, Max, uh, I, I know you're a frequent caller, and but I don't. I never said that. I that he'd give the $8 million, no. Yeah. I hope he gives a hell of a lot more than that. Right. Uh, it's going to cost 40 or $50 million to stop them from cheating. Sure. I hope they do that. You see, the Democratic Party pays the guys who cheat because they're, for the most part, on union payrolls. Right the culinary workers in Nevada, the auto workers in Michigan, and so on. Uh, The Republican Party relies on volunteers and people who do this from the goodness of their heart, and the money works better. So we need to be paying our people to do that. Right. And uh, that's what I hope 
really well, continues. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. So I went through the stats in the previous segment, but I didn't have the exact numbers in front of me. Don't in 2017 us. and 2018 combined, Joe and Jill Biden declared income of $15.7 million. They got $8 million of book royalties, $4.2 million for speeches and book tour, $540,000 from the Penn Biden Center. $120,000 from Social Security and $250,000 from his U.S. Senate and vice presidential pension, coming to $13.1 million. And his income, he declared, was $15.7 million. There's a million and a half there. No, two and a half. Oh, yeah, right. 15.7 right, right. minus 13. Right, 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 right. Got it. 2.6. So where is that? And Where and did it come from? That's what... They should be investigating. Right. Okay, now. Not while he's in office. Happy Father's Day. The leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old. But his blood runs through my instrument and his song is in my soul. My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I'm just a living legacy. Boy, is Hunter a living legacy to the leader of his band, uh, Joe Biden. In this case, his band is a RICO criminal enterprise, and and, uh, Joe and Hunter is really definitely the living legacy to that and also an active partner in it. But I want to talk about Father's Day a little bit. The left has declared war on fathers. The left is taking the position that fathers have no role in our society or in the role of their children. The focus is entirely on Heather has two mommies, on gay women, not on straight men. Oh, and toxic masculinity and everything else that offends them. Yeah. And and the point is that when the history of this is when Pat Monahan wrote his famous report and I think, 64, about black poverty. He said that the reason there was increasing poverty was the dissolution of the black nuclear family because the fathers left. And the rate of abandonment of families by fathers was was enormous and has gotten even more so. Yeah, the government was at the this, father. Was at the this husband. point, two, at, at this point, uh, two and a half million, I'm sorry, excuse me, at this point, 75% of all black children are being raised in fatherless households. Wow. And the, as, as Doug just said, the government has replaced the father. 
The government is the source of income. The government is the source of counseling and of support. Uh, The government and, and the government is particularly focused on gay women taking the place of fathers. And the that's why Biden said, for example, he's going to name a black woman to the Supreme Court or a black woman as vice president. Fathers need not apply. Right. Affirmative action is increasingly devote which is increasingly devoted to advancing black women, but not black men. Yeah, Conrad Tillard, remember he gave us that yeah, whole. We gave this, got this info from him. He was great. The um, the typical affirmative action black family, the the mother is is senior partner at an investment house and the father has a shingle outside that yeah. says attorney at law and he chases ambulances. Yeah. And uh, the focus has been entirely on black women. And, there is, and as a result, you're really dealing here with an assault on fatherhood uh, by the Biden administration. Well, that's how they keep them on the, the string. Law. That's how they keep the women in, you know, that's right. on the string. That's right. And they're able to to do that because the federal government has abandoned the idea of helping black men. And uh, was that used to be the major focus of activity. Now it's not. And focusing on gay women has replaced black men. You know, my wife Eileen used to work at a at one of the biggest law firms in Connecticut, uh, Dayberry and Howard. We began to call it gay Barry and Howard. <laughs> and, you cheat him and how? Yeah. And it was the uh, it was the number one law firm in the state. And she told me of the pecking order there. At the top are the white men. At the second level are the gay women. And at the lowest tier are the straight women. <laughs> because the gay women go to basketball games with the men. Oh, they no. hang out. That's the They're reason? basically jocks. And uh, and there's an affinity there. I don't know and about straight that. women are totally subordinated and totally ignored. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, let's go to Andrew and Stanhope. Hello, Andrew. Yes, it's a tragedy what the Democrat Party did to the black family. Right. And um, coming out of uh, Newark and South Orange, New Jersey, I lived on the border of Newark, South Orange, East Orange. So I saw the stark contrast growing up between the pa- – the black households that had a father versus the single, right. and it couldn't be more egregious, the difference between the housing project. But it wasn't until I was older that I realized the, the political reasons and the Democrat Party took over the vote and got the people dependent and everything goes through them, health care, yeah. college. Yeah, absolutely. So- and, and I think that the when Quayle was vice president, he began to talk about against Murphy Brown, the TV show. That glorified that. single mothers. Yep. And he said, we need to start glorifying marriage. I remember and, that. Uh, wow. and, and at the time, we kind of dismissed him as a, as a moral fuddy-duddy, a, uh, you know, stuck in the past. Uh, but Potato ultimately, in opposing, the, in opposing the abandonment of the black father, he had a good point. When I worked for Clinton, one of the major emphasis we had was the collection of child support. And uh, I worked hard and got helped get legislation passed that provides that the IRS can seize tax refunds uh, for child support enforcement and, uh, and can be and upping the seriousness, the severity of the efforts to collect child support. But 
the fact that black men and white men can leave their families and you have a fatherless family uh, is is socially terrible and it's and and it's morally terrible morally terrible and the social outcomes are awful why are people why are black people poor black children well it's simple you have a two family household two parent household you have two incomes you have a one parent household you have one income and increasingly women incomes are coming to equal male incomes that gap has closed significantly but they're still lower and it means that the kid is raised with a much lower level of income, and uh, and I think that that's that process is called the feminization of poverty. Right. Uh, but a big part of that is the marginalization of black men. Let's go to Robert in Suffolk. Hi, Robert. Hi, Mr. Morris. I believe Trump can make the argument that he has been entrapped. One, the GSA did not provide him with a secured facility like all the other presidents before him to store the documents. And the uh, other way, oh, yeah. I can't remember the moment. Okay, you, but I like the point you made. I had not heard of it and I had not thought about it. I'm going to pursue that. Thank you. Thank you, Robert, for bringing that to my attention. If the other thing occurs to you, call us back. Uh, Tony yes. in Clifton. Hi, Tony. Hi, Tony. Hi. Hi, guys. Happy Father's Day. Thank so my you. question, Dick, is just a question. How does your congressional majority fit into your campaign, you know, picture? And I only ask that because Congress is just not really doing an outstanding job. I watch all the hearings. Right. And, and the Republicans really sit there and take so much whipping from the dam. So yeah, do but, you think that's important? Well, I think the, it's crucial that the House went Republican. And uh, you may have criticisms about McCarthy or the House majority, but Comer, uh, who is leading the Oversight Committee, and Jordan, who's also investigating this, are doing one hell of a job. Uh, I mean, Comer might as well be the Attorney General in waiting or in, in absentia. And they are single-handedly carrying the allegations against against Hunter and Joe Biden, with no assistance from the executive branch. So I think that's that's very important, and I think they're doing very very well. Um, let's go to uh, uh, Judith in Brooklyn. Hi, Judith. Judith. <clears throat> Hi. Hi. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, Hi, Judith. I want to tell you something. I'm going to steal your. Uh, Trader Joe, but I'm going to change it to Traitor Joe. Traitor Joe. <laughs> yeah, that's how we mean it. Yeah, that's how we mean it. Oh, yeah. that's you meant? Okay, well, <laughs> Trader Joe Biden. Let me tell you, I am fuming, and I'm just calling to say if the Espionage Act really should apply to this Trader Joe Biden for sure, because this guy obviously, obviously is working together and working for our enemies, including China, big time. And let me just say, people asking, why is Anthony Blinken going to China? What is he going to say? And, you know, I could sound like I'm joking, but really I'm not. This guy who was the director of the Biden Chinese yeah, think tank. He was on University. the Chinese payroll for four years, basically, I, through I'm the Penn Biden he's probably, Institute. He's probably bringing all of these illegal classified documents with Kathy Chung yeah. to give it to, to the leader and thing, and also <laughs> getting instructions on how to continue 
trying to, God forbid, destroy this country. Yeah. That's what they're all about. It's yeah. sickening. Well, I think your point is, is correct, Judith, that Blinken and Biden <clears throat> both were on the payroll of the Chinese Communist Party for the four-year period in between the vice presidency and the presidency. And uh, I just indicated that uh, Joe Biden made $550,000 from that source in 17 and 18. A little bit less than 18, 19, and 20, but still two or 300. Thank you. Let's go to Sandra Thank in New Jersey. Jersey. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Sandra. Good afternoon. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Um, I, w- I wanted to ask you a question about Judge Aileen Cannon. Right. Um, for, I, correct me if I'm wrong. First, I read that she has the authority to put this case well over to March of next year because of a previous indictment with Stormy Daniels. And then I also wanted to know, she was, uh, she was like appointed by Donald Trump, and she did a good thing. She wanted all those documents reviewed by a master servant, yep, yep. and that was shut down. So my concern is, if she, I, I'm sure she'll remain as judge, but I hope that the, oppo- opposite, you know, the opposite side doesn't sway her to not yeah. be as... Well, there'll yeah. be, there's, there's an effort to recuse her. Uh, brought by the uh, U- by the U.S. attorney, and uh, it's ridiculous. It's based basically on the fact that Trump appointed her. So every single U.S. At- every single judge uh, basically was appointed by either Obama or by Trump. There are a few left over from Bush, but still, uh, you know, you can't dismiss a judge simply because of who appointed them. And the decision that she made to require a special master to review these documents. Uh, before they're released is a very good one because the point was that who knew which documents violated attorney-client privilege and you can't just release them until you know that. So appointing a special master to review it for that I think is very important and I think one of the challenges to this indictment that are going to be brought, Dershowitz at least says, and will hopefully be successful, is to dismiss a great many of the counts because they violate attorney-client privilege, and uh, I think that that I think that makes a lot of sense. So we are um, we are getting very conflicting reports these days about the American economy and what's happening with it, and the banking crisis, and is it over? So I asked John Tobacco to join us. The he's the, uh, uh, the he's on Newsmax. And uh, is a terrific guy. And he's brilliant. Yeah, he's very bright. So let's uh, go to a break, and then we'll go to him. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Hi, I just want to make a correction. The... Uh, ad that the station played about the Patriot Gold Group was wrong. Uh, when I cut it two years ago, it was right. <laughs> Gold was down 8%, but they're reusing the same damn thing, even though I've corrected it. Gold is up 15%. The rest of the data about how much the stock market is down is correct. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, John Tobacco. John, hey, welcome. Hey, John. Hello, guys. How are you? Happy Father's Day. Happy Thank Father's you. Day. So, John, I forget, when is your show on? My show is on Saturday nights at 10, and Sunday nights it re-airs after Gorka at 1130, and 
we actually been killing it on Sunday nights, and a lot of people turn in there uh, before they go to bed. Good, Beautiful. good. I, I hope I hope you have something nice to tell them before they go to bed. <laughs> a bedtime yeah, story. We're talking about Robert F. Kennedy. Bedtime story. But let's keep our eye focused on our goal in the economy. Okay, so maybe we're not going to be on easy street. Yeah, I don't think so. But, John, let's talk about what's going to happen with the economy in general. Well, look, I am uh, I am scared personally. I think we're in a perilous position, as we saw, you know, with the uh, Trump impeachment and the Russia hoaxes and the masks and the mandates. Um, we've been lied to a lot of ways, and the media continues to be captured and carry the water for the uh, large institutions, the mm-hmm. Black Rock guards of the world. Uh, and, Dick, we, uh, I was lucky enough to get to talk to you a few minutes the other day, and uh, I think we both agree that the commercial real estate yeah. market is— I, I want to get to that in just a sec, John. Oil. I want to get to that in just a sec, but I had a conversation uh, earlier this week with a guy named uh, Mike Wilkerson. He's great. Who's a great guy. He publishes a thing called the Stormwall Report. Not Stonewall, Stormwall. And he says there are two factors that, in his judgment, are going to force the economy into recession before Election Day. The first is that OPEC is clearly going to raise its prices. And the Saudis have telegraphed that already. And probably you'll see oil at about... 80, 90, or $100 a barrel. And that's going to force inflation throughout the whole economy and rekindle the inflation that seemed to have been reduced. Secondly, he's made the point, which nobody else has made, that the Treasury, the fund that the Treasury has, it's called the Treasury General Fund or something like that. John will know. Which is basically the balance in the government's checking account. Right has gone from a trillion dollars to $80 billion in the last four or five months. And they're going. the debt limit has been averted. So now what they're going to have to do is to go out and sell a trillion dollars worth of bonds. And that's going to, uh, and, and, and that's going to really hurt the economy. And the, to, to sell those bonds, they're going to have to raise interest rates. And they're going to raise them anyway to deal with inflation. And that that all should have a very negative effect on the economy. And I was very impressed by that. What What do you think? Well, I think uh, Mike Wilkerson is a uh, brilliant guy. And he's a man after my own heart because he's saying the truth about things, which it's hard sometimes out there. But there's no question about it that uh, – the Fed and the Treasury have a major problem on their hands. Um, you go out and sell a whole bunch of debt, which are bonds. The biggest buyers in the world of our bonds are Japan and China and others. Uh, over the last couple of years, while China hasn't been a seller of bonds, um, they've been a, a net seller, but they don't always, they buy some and sell some other maturities. Um, we do not need China to come to the table as a net seller yeah. of bonds because uh, we may have to go into some Volcker situation where they just wrap the rate to 15% so that uh, global economy global economists will right. at least let the countries buy our bonds. So now, John, let's scary. get they got to fight 
they got to fight the rates at the same time they need higher rates to sell the bonds so exactly. we're in uh, we're in the cobra clutch and the higher the rates go the more banks fail uh and i think that that's i think that's really the inhibiting factor uh yes. so john let's go closer to home you've warned me about the collapse collapse of the commercial real estate market in new york and elsewhere and this is obviously key in new york because our entire economy is based on commercial real estate. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I did a little homework this week and was, I feel the same way as you. I feel like the big real estate firms are kind of socializing the idea that everything is okay. But, uh, you know, according to Morgan Stanley, they said about a third of the $4.5 trillion in commercial real estate debt in America comes due in the next two years before the end of 2025. Mm. So that's about $1.5 trillion worth of real estate has to be refinanced. And again, we're looking at a situation where those rates must be significantly higher. So, Or they uh, don't get refinancing because the fundamental thing is nobody goes to work anymore. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying, that if they don't get refinancing, then they're in foreclosure. They give the keys back to the bank. And again, this could contribute to significant bank failures because banks are sitting there with, you know, I think right now um, about 50% of their portfolios are non-performing in the last six months. Wow. We're seeing a lot of owners say, hey, take a walk. Here's the keys back. It's called the good guy clause. We don't want it anymore. And the last thing banks want to be is landowners. Um so I think the commercial real estate crisis could be the next boil. We got a major problem with our pension systems being hidden by most of the trustees. Um, but like you said, commercial real estate is the engine of America. Yeah. You got major, well, major. It's, it's certainly the engine of New York City. Uh, it's where all of our uh, all of our revenues come from. The residential property tax it probably contributes. And these numbers are old, but I think it's it, well. Certainly less than 20% of the property tax take. The bulk of it is commercial real estate. And there's a new kind of abandoned building in New York. Uh, they're not the uh, the brownstones and the tenements uh, like they used to be. They're major office buildings with very large mortgages that are just going broke. Um, in an email you sent me, I'm trying to pull it up now, you mentioned uh, some specific buildings that have basically been abandoned because of the debt. Yeah, Brookfield Properties um, walked away from $161 million of uh, suburban office buildings in hmm. Washington. You got Blackstone, the largest money, one of the largest money managers in the world, um, and PIMCO. They're also giving up on a bunch of their office investments rather than try to refinance them and continue losing because no one's going back to the office. Companies have figured out ways to lessen their footprint and still get efficiency and productivity. And, uh, you know, if they can't afford the existing debt load and they have to try to refinance it at higher rates, that building's going into foreclosure. Mm. And then the banks are going to have these non-performing assets um, that they got to sell at bargain basement prices. So it's it, well, everywhere you look, uh, the rate issue and the bond issue and the balance sheet issue um, it all comes back to, to me, major problems for the banks. Yeah, but uh, we, we've always spoken about, you know, the the bank crisis is a liquidity crisis, and it certainly has been. But this is fundamentally different. 
lifestyles have changed, and the marketplace has totally changed. Let me ask you a and question. No how, longer do people go to work. How, what do you think the percentage of this is that COVID caused a lot of because people well, didn't COVID go caused into all the, of it, right? But it's only, but it wasn't temporary. COVID got people used to working at home, right? And they found they liked it better, and the right. bosses found exactly. their productivity was okay, uh, so they stayed with it. Right. And um, now I think a third of the workforce does not go into work, mm -hmm. and that number is going to obviously increase. So this huge overhead that companies are bearing for their commercial real estate rent is now totally unnecessary. And I think that that, that dislocation is going to cause an enormous financial crisis in New York City. Yeah, there was a report the other day in the New York Post that for every person in New York City who doesn't come to work one day a week, the net impact to the revenue of New York City is $4,000 per year per person yeah. who doesn't go into work. So, wow. you know, you got Mayor Adams just came out and said that uh, he's making all New York City employees a three-day in-office work week right now. So there's a grand a person right there, thanks to Mayor Adams. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's but of course, those are, those are city office too. buildings. There's no mortgage debt on those. Uh, we're talking here about <laughs> private sector where it's, heavily leveraged with mortgage debt, and they were all about to default. No, I'm with you. I'm talking about just the trickle-down effect to the regular men and women on the street, the vendors, the small stores, uh, the retailers, the hardware companies. Um, regular mom-and-pop businesses are being impacted by these new policies. And, and, you know, at the top level, I think it makes the systemic risk to the banks. You know, uh, all the problems recently are with the small to mid, the regional banks. Right. And uh, big banks of America carry their commercial loan portfolios, about 13% of their whole portfolio. The smaller banks are at about 40%. Yeah. So well, we've discussed, John, I'm, I'm nearing my hard break, but we've discussed how this is an effort by the big banks to put the small banks out of business. And, uh, and it's succeeding dramatically. Uh, we've lost a number of small banks in the U.S., dropped from 6,600 to 4,400 over the last decade. And I think the stats, it's going to be basically an extinct species. And then where are you going to go for your home loan, for your mortgage, for your auto loan? Citibank's not going to give it to you. Chase isn't going to give it to you. They're concerned about global investments. So I think this could be a horrible situation. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. And we should be watching your show uh Tonight, tonight 11.30, I think. All right. Well, you guys, thank what you time's so your much. show tonight? My pleasure. Dougie and Mr. M, thank you so thank much. Thank you. And your show is 11.30 tonight, John? No, yeah, 10. tonight, 11.30. 11 11 it's a great show. We talk about Robert F. Kennedy. Thank you. Jr. Thank you, buddy. Okay. Mr. Right. Morris, it's an Bye -bye. honor to be here thank with you. Thank you, John. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.